Oh, good morning, everyone. I can't tell you what an absolute pleasure it is to be here. And just to see so many faces that still are uh, so familiar. I, I have to say, you all probably have no idea what a role you have played in my life and in the life of my wife. And uh, you shaped us. You, you loved us. You bore with me as I learned to preach. <laughs> Hopefully I have learned by now. When I was preaching those first sermons for you, no one came up and said, you're a natural. <laughs> no, you loved me. You, in, you invested in me. You, you gave me helpful feedback. I just can't even express to you what a pleasure it is to be here with you today. And uh, I have the, the great pleasure also bringing you greetings from the saints at Dayspring Church in Reno, Nevada. I, I worship with you all right now, and I think we are so like-minded. Things just feel so, uh, they feel the same. You know that wonderful way where you travel and you find people who are like you, they sing like you, they worship like you, and there's that sense of home no matter where you are, so long as we have the people of God, and, and that's how I feel here, and, and uh, you have a like-minded family in Reno uh, praying for you, and so grateful for you, grateful for what you are continuing to do. So greetings on behalf of the saints, and, and just my, my deep gratitude for having me here today. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119. If you would like to turn there, you can. It's also in your bulletin. It's also on page 512 in your pew Bibles. It was Grace Bible Church that taught me to do that. <laughs> we'll be in Psalm 119, and you can turn there and uh, just have that open, and we will uh, be looking at verses 25 through 32 today, but just in chunks as we navigate uh, the text. You know, one reason I have just such a, an appreciation for you all, for Grace Bible, is there are just some pillars of my faith that come from here. And I would say one of the sweetest and most long-lasting has been a high view of the church. It is the church not just as some exalted holy thing, but also, the church is a practical, local, organic family. It was here that that kind of doctrine became lived. It was here where I first had that sense of fellowship really mattering, of spending time with one another, of having life almost orbit around this family that is the church. And, and I tell you, it shaped me ever since, to experience what fellowship could be, to experience what a church family could be. It was that lesson that you all gave me that really filled my heart with the desire to go forward however the Lord would send me in the Great Commission, because people hadn't heard of churches like this, much less had they gone to churches like this. Uh, Reno, where I'm from, is actually somewhat infamous in Christian circles uh, for various reasons, unfortunately, but in part because we have so few churches. 
And so people are so unchurched, so absolutely unchurched. And what you showed me just put a, a fire in my heart to say, people need this. They need the love. They need the community. They need the vitality. They need all these things of a church that is orbiting around the gospel, orbiting around their Savior, living life together like we are meant to live. You changed me. Grace Bible changed me. Now I'll say this as I pursued this vision further, as one who's not merely attending a church, but then one by the grace of God who began to be able to pastor in the church, I began to learn even further lessons of what the fellowship of the church means. And I learned, among other things, of the brokenness of the local church. Because here we are all together. You get cleaned up, dressed up. You come and you put on your your ministry face. Even if you're not being fake, you're here to be positive. You're here to help someone else. And and it's so easy for these ah, layers, these walls, to be formed between us. Such that you think, ah, everyone's got it together. Everyone except me, that is. It's then in the deeper life of the church that you come to realize, no, no, none of us have it together. I actually have this rule of thumb that I believe deeply and I now pass on when I can. And it's, if you want to have a safe uh, view of people in the church, assume everyone is worse off than you know. And some people substantially so. Everyone, without even being fake, without even being hypocrites, everyone is worse off than they seem. At least here on a Sunday. And many are suffering. This is the reality of the local church as well. That week by week we come with our burdens. Week by week we come broken, limping. And to you today, you do, you look all together. You're, you're paying attention, you're smiling, you're encouraging me, and yet I know, I know without needing to know any of you any more deeply than what I have right now, I know that you're suffering. Some of you especially so right now. This is the reality of the local church as well. This is where we meet God's word today. How is it that we are supposed to respond to our trials? How is it that we are supposed to respond to our sorrows? We're all experiencing the trials and we're all experiencing the sorrows, but it's not hard to believe that many of us have developed some bad habits for dealing with those trials and sorrows. In fact, our instincts often drive us directions that are the opposite of where we should go. So often we turn to distractions. The waves are crashing down upon us. We're there in the howling storm and we think, I just want to check out. I don't want to be in this. I want to be somewhere else. And we live in a world that's happy to distract us. Our world actually specializes in distracting us. 
Our entertainment industry is just absolutely booming. There's so many ways where there you are in the middle of a trial and you're thinking, I just want to stop thinking, I'm going to turn on a show. I'm going to play a game, just something, so that I can stop thinking about this. Others of us turn to things that we can eat, turn to things that we can drink. We think just for a moment here, I just want that, not what I'm actually going through, but I will flee to the things I can eat and drink. Some of us flee to our work. Because if I can go there, I can do the thing I'm good at, I can do the thing that I'm productive at, I can do the thing that's necessary right now, and I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to soak in what is going on in my personal life. I can go do another hour at the office. I can go work on another project. Whatever it is, we're just longing to escape. We're not going to solve the trials. We're not going to solve the sorrows. Let's just get out of here. But these things never work, do they? And that's the thing. Whatever your bad habit is, whatever your bad distraction is, you've tried it, and then you've tried it again, and you've tried it again. And you keep finding that it never solves anything. Whatever escape you have is momentary. The show ends, the food ends, the high ends, the entertainment ends, the project ends, and real life is still there. And in fact, it only gets harder sometimes because we tried the thing that doesn't work. We flee all these ways that don't actually address what we really need. We flee to all these things, and they're actually not what our God wants for us. Our God has a better way. Our God has a better way than the distractions. Our God has a better way than the escapism. And it turns out it's actually here in our Bibles. It's here in the Word of God. I'll just telegraph right now where we are going. We're going to talk about how much the Word of God is meant to help us in our trials and sorrows. And for many of you, you've heard that sermon, you've had that thought. And you may even be finding this frustrating that you're hearing this again. You say, I know Christians are supposed to do this. I know that's a thing that we do, but it doesn't work for me. It's never worked for me. I've still got life. I've still got trials. I know the Bible is supposedly supposed to do something. But that's not ever been what I have experienced. So you know the right answer on the theology test, Word of God, and yet you hear someone wanting to talk about it, and it's just frustrating because it's never been your reality. It's never actually been your lived help. Well, God is going to help us today. God is going to show us some of the treasures of his word. But he's not going to do it with a dictionary definition where I walk you through a doctrine of scripture and tell you all the bullet points that you ought to believe. 
He's not going to show us with a classroom lecture where you sit down and receive some systematic theology or some professor walking you through all these complex things. What's so helpful today and even surprising in its own way is that God is going to show us the treasures of his word through a man thousands of years ago who was suffering. A man who was suffering through trials and sorrows. We don't know his name, but this is the psalmist that we refer to in Psalm 119. He writes this absolute classic of a psalm, the longest one in there. And it's dedicated to the Word of God. Study it sometime. It's delightful. It's organized according to the Hebrew alphabet. Eight verses at a time. Eight different words used for the Word of God throughout. It is just soaked in Scripture and in a love for Scripture. And as this man is going to lay out how important the Word of God is, you're not going to find it to be cold, distant, technical. You are going to hear the Word of God as it is treasured by a fellow sufferer. And I pray that by the power of the Spirit, His suffering words will drive home for all of us just what a treasure, just what a help the Word of God is meant to be. God has a better help in His Word than perhaps many of us have ever realized. Which also means God has a better hope for us than many have ever realized. As we look at the text, we're going to pick up in just the first verses and go through them a couple at a time. And I want you to see as we pick up in verse 25 how God gives his word for our trials. See what we have in verse 25 through 27. The word of God reads, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Pause there. See how God gives his word for our trials. We meet this psalmist, and though the language might seem poetic, and you're not sure what it means right at first, we realize he is in deep trouble. That's the language of my soul clings to the dust. It's a picture of humiliation. And, and even as the text unfolds, we realize it's a situation where his life is being threatened. The psalmist experiencing the worst kinds of troubles, and he's unable to deliver himself. He's unable to just solve this by his own will, by his own intellect, by his own strength. And there in that inability to deliver himself, we can feel then also his hopelessness, at least as far as his own powers go. Pause and ask yourself, why does the Lord preserve trials like this? Why does he say that 3,000 years ago, some man's trial should be preserved in Holy Scripture so that we would read it today? What you realize is he preserved it for us. It's not just some ancient artifact, some old text that we just dust off and read from time to time. You realize that the Lord preserved these things for us. He saved them for us, and in that way he is speaking to us today. 
He's speaking to you in your hopeless situations today. He's speaking to us in our failures. He's speaking to us in our weaknesses. Speaking to us in our struggles. He's speaking to us in our conflicts. What does the psalmist say he needs as he suffers in these trials? He says he needs God's Word. As he is suffering, he says things like, verse 26, teach me. He says in verse 27, make me understand his problem as he approaches the problems he is faced with. It's a sense of dullness, spiritual, physical, mental dullness, a sense of inability such that he can't say, God, I'm going to figure it out. He says, I need you to make me understand. As I suffer, I need you to teach me. And you hear then this urgency in his words and in his heart. Give me life according to your word. Verse 25. What a different perspective. What a different perspective that he believes his life depends on. On God's word. Already we're hearing the suffering man begin to describe the word like so many of us have perhaps never thought of it. You read the word because you ought to. You read the word because Christians tell you to. You read the word because you've got a list and it tells you to read something today and you're going to check it off. No, the psalmist says, my life depends on the word of God. As this man suffers, he longs for God's word. And God is showing us today that his word is meant for our trials. Hold on to that thought and then see how the psalmist is going to continue. In verses 28 and 29 we see that God gives his word not merely for our trials, he gives his word for our sorrows. Pick up in 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. You see, God gives his word for our sorrows. The psalmist now, we realize he's not just facing danger. He's not just facing challenges. The psalmist is grieving. That's the language of my soul melts away. It might have the idea of my life weeps itself away. Again, why does the Lord preserve these things? He preserves them because he's speaking to us today through his word. He's speaking to us today in our grief. He's speaking to us today in our mourning. He's speaking to us today in our depression. He's speaking to us in those lowest of low situations. When you feel like the only language your soul knows how to speak is to weep. 
There's no coherent sentences. There's no coherent thoughts even. All you can do is cry in the face of the sorrows that you are going through. The Lord sees us. The Lord knows our tears. He speaks to us today in our grief. Now the psalmist, in his grief, what does he need? Again, surprising, but maybe not at all. What does he need? He says, I need the Word. Again, urgency. Urgency in his heart. Urgency in his affections. In his grief, there is nothing optional going on. He needs the Word for the strength God gives by it. In our sorrows, there's a special kind of weakness. It's not the weakness of having worked a hard day's work. It's not the weakness of sleep deprivation. It's a weakness that says, how do I keep going? It's a weakness that questions whether you can make it through another day. In his grief, he says, I need the word for the strength that I don't have. He needs the word for strength. He needs the word for his own purification. You've got to love the psalms, got to love the psalmist because he says things that maybe you've never thought when you've been going through a trial, never thought when you've been going through a time of sorrow. He points to his own need for purification. He wants God to save him from what is false. Put false ways far from me, he says. He wants God to step in and save him from those false ideas that have invaded his heart, those false beliefs that are dictating how he views all of life, all the things he's doing, his goals, the people around him. He wants God to step in and save him from the false practices, the things he has fallen into perhaps and he never should have done, but he certainly doesn't want to continue in. But it's not enough to just have those removed from his life. He needs something else put there in its place. And what does he turn to? He wants God to graciously teach him his law. He goes to God saying, take from me what is false, give to me what is true. Graciously give me what is true. And that language of grace is so important. Again, why do you read your Bible? For so many of us, it is just some sense of obligation. It is some sense of, I'm supposed to do this. It's like the person who doesn't like eating healthy and they look at the vegetables and they say, oh, I got to eat them. That's us with the word so often. I I know I need this. I, I know I'm supposed to do this. The psalmist looks to his God and says, this, your word, would be a gift of your grace. Grace, what do we mean by grace? We mean the way God is good to us, even when we deserve the opposite. The psalmist looks at the word of God as a gift. Again, radically challenging our categories and the ways that we view things. 
There he is suffering and he says, I need you, God, to take the false things from me and replace them with the gift of your word. And we see that as this man suffers, he's longing for the word of God. And God today is speaking to us, wanting us to see that his word is meant for our sorrows. So his word is meant for our trials, his word is meant for our sorrows, and we see then in the closing verses of this section, 30 through 32, that God gives his word for our practical good. Hear how the word continues. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. We see that God gives his word for our practical good. I want you to put a thought together. It's not a hard thought, but it's a thought we need to say to make sure it's actually there and it's going to get driven into our heart. If the word satisfies this kind of urgent need, help in times of trial, help in times of sorrow, desperately needed help, if that is what the word is, what kind of response makes sense? What kind of response makes sense? Is it to ignore it? Is it to skip it? Is it to feel obligated, ah, maybe I'll do that? We find that so many of our reactions to the word don't make sense in light of a question like that. The word is my urgent need, then what response makes sense? Taking action. And that's what you find with the rest of the verses in this paragraph filled with words about action. Verse 30, he chooses faithfulness. That is to say, he chooses to pursue the Lord in steadiness. He's going to follow him with steadiness. Second half of verse 30, he pursues obedience. He He sets God's rules before him, rules that he doesn't just want to look at, rules that he doesn't just want to talk about because they're the theological thing, rules that he actually wants to do. Verse 31, he clings to God's word. That's a great word, right? Cling. He clings to it. What do we cling to? We cling to things that we really need. That is the perspective of the psalmist. I'm going to hold on to your word. I cannot let it go. It is my only hope. He's going to hold on tight, even though he's weak, even though he's desperate, even though he feels perhaps like he is slipping. But there's no other option. There's no other option to let go. He clings on, though he's weak and desperate. He holds on because God is his only hope of deliverance here. God is his only hope of strength, only hope of help here, and he is convinced of it, which means he can't let go. So he clings to God's word, verse 32. He will run in God's commandments. And that's an interesting thing to say. Again, I don't know if we talk like this. 
So we have this picture that we use, we get it from the Bible, and we talk about our walk with the Lord. It's a picture of day-by-day life, of trusting, following the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. Take that picture and actually apply it here. He doesn't just want to walk with the Lord. Oh, he wants to run with him. There then is a picture of passion, a picture of even enthusiasm. So far from that picture of obligation towards the word, he's saying, oh, help me and I will run in your ways. I will run in your ways. His enthusiasm is meant to be contagious for us. Maybe we look at ourselves and say, why, why am I just kind of moseying along here? Why am I just kind of walking along here? Oh Lord, help me. I want to run in your ways. He prays, enlarge my heart and I will run in your ways. I prayer again for God's help, for God's grace. Lord, you help me and I will run after you. This is his prayer. This is his desire filled with action, filled with concrete steps. His passion, his diligence, it might seem unusual to us. It might seem unusual to you. You maybe look at yourself in the mirror and think, I'm not like that. I have never been like that psalmist just by his example showing us the better way he's showing us the way that makes sense if the word offers this kind of help then to go running after the lord is the only response that makes sense friends this is what we come full circle to This is one of those simple yet profound points that the Lord would drive home into all of our hearts, into all of our lives. God's Word is meant for your trials and sorrows. God's Word is meant, yes, it's meant for our trials and sorrows, but this is that moment when I want you to think about you. God's Word is meant for your trials and sorrows. sorrows. The Word of God is God's great gift for your real life. As broken as it might be, as messed up as you think it might be. I want to do something which I hope is helpful and perhaps it's different. I don't hold out the Word to you with a guilt trip. Like, do you see how good this is? I can't believe you neglect it so badly. I don't intend to beat you over the head with this. Don't intend to be one more obligation in your life. When you look at the checklist of your life, you realize, ah, I should put that on my to-do list. I want something better for you. I believe our God wants something better for you. The Word of God is a loving father offering food to his starving child. The Word of God is the divine physician offering medicine for your soul. In love, 
God calls you to turn away from the false helps. The things that aren't working, and in fact, they're probably making things worse. In the midst of your trials and your sorrows, maybe you don't need to turn on another device. Another show, another game, another 15 minutes of swiping, maybe none of that is actually doing you any good. The Lord calls us to turn away from our addiction to entertainment, our addiction to distraction. Anything, if we can just not think about this one more minute, no, He tells you to turn away from these things to turn away from pouring our lives and our hearts into our work simply because we don't want to have to deal with life anymore. He calls us to turn away from buying, eating, drinking, escaping. He calls us to turn away from all these false helps and instead turn to God. Turn to His Word in your trials and in your sorrows. Like this suffering psalmist found so many years ago, God will be your strength. God will be your help. As you follow in His ways, As you go following those paths of His Word to the heart of His Word, you will find not merely that God will give you wisdom. He will. You will find uh, He won't just give you guidance, although He will. You will find at the very heart of His Word a Savior. It's at the heart of His Word that we find not just a bunch of to-do items, not a theology test. It's at the heart of His Word that we find a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our God's greatest gift for our greatest struggles. He is that great gift of grace and love to a people suffering in a dark world. And He is that great gift of salvation to those dying from the sin that they can't break free from on their own. When you trust the Lord and turn to His Word in your times of trial and sorrow, you will find Jesus. And who, who better understands trial and sorrow than Jesus. Who understands trials like the man that the world persecuted, that Satan himself tried to destroy? Who understands sorrow better than the man of sorrows who knew what it was to be betrayed, abandoned, humiliated? tortured and executed. You see, you find the heart of the Word 
Jesus, the faithful shepherd for our darkest trials. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the word would tell you that good shepherd will be with you. And you need not fear while you're trusting him. Jesus is the one who is near to the brokenhearted. The man of sorrows who conquered death is also the one who says he can bind up the wounds of those who are brokenhearted. This is when it comes very concretely to you. What kind of response makes sense? What kind of response makes sense with a word this good, with a Savior this loving and this powerful? The only response that makes sense, friends, is to take action. Take action not because you have it all together. Take action not because you're the best reader or the best theologian. Take action because you absolutely resonate with the psalmist and you say, I am the needy one. I am the weak one. I am the suffering one. And so I need his word. Convinced of these things about ourselves, we must be the ones who likewise choose His Word. Seek His Word. Obey His Word. Cling to His Word. Even though day by day the storms of life make you feel like you are just falling apart and you don't know how you're going to hold on for another day, yet with the tenacity of the psalmist here and the faith of the psalmist here, you say, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. How could I let go? Where am I going to go if I let go? And so you hold on for another day, you hold on for another hour, you hold on for another dark night, clinging to the only one who can bring you through. And I may have only brought this full circle one more time to that old frustration that some of you feel that says, I, I get I'm supposed to want this. I get it's supposed to help, but it has never helped me. I don't know what to do with what you are talking about now. For some of you, it's that old frustration. Maybe for some of you, it's a brand new idea. You're being introduced to something right now and you're just saying, I'm confused. I don't know what step two is. What do I do when this sermon ends? And can I say, whether you're the frustrated one or the confused one or somewhere in between, this is the kind of thing that your pastors would love to talk to you about. I mean, I'll love to talk to you about it too, but they're better. There is nothing a pastor would love to talk about more than helping someone to receive the blessings of the Word. So if this is just not yet clicking for you, but you're hearing that it's supposed to, you're hearing it's supposed to be some help to you, talk to your pastors. They would love, love, love to help you get deeper into the Word. Friends, for all the trials you are suffering, for all the 
sorrows you are enduring. Our loving Father has given us his word. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for understanding our sorrows and understanding our trials. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we confess that so many times we just don't know what to do with it. We confess that even when we know what to do with it, we don't do what we're supposed to do with it. We pray for your forgiveness where this is a matter of our stubbornness. And Lord, we pray you would help us. Meet with us in our suffering. Meet with us in our trials and in our sorrows. Help us to find the good that the psalmist is describing to us today. Give us life according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.